All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to week four of College Football Unmasked. Today, a special episode. We have Jamison Whiten, special guest. Now, this is somebody who's been kind of an inspiration to me breaking into the sports field because they got so established into it. We have one of my friends, Marcus Carr, joining us on the podcast this week, so very excited about that. Jamison, Marcus, how are y'all? Good, how are you? Man, I'm good. College football is ramping up, and it's probably no better time for it with the Pac-12 coming back. I'm not oh, yeah. doing bad. SMU's the number 18 team in the country right now. Feeling a little bit better, ecstatic now after the Cincy loss. We're feeling, we're feeling good. Yeah, man. And look, that wasn't bad SMU. I think Cincy is just really good. Uh, you know, I, I, I really want to blame the coaching. The end, the end of that first half, it was poor, poor, and going into the fourth quarter, just settle for two field goals, or and it, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, that, but that Cincinnati team, man, that's going to be one to watch yeah. out. But I'm glad you brought up poor coaching, right? Because I can't think of a better phrase to start off this first segment with. Because here what we do every week is we kind of like to start off with the upset of the week. And it just so happens that the upset of the week this year comes, or this year, maybe even this year, yeah, comes from the Big Ten in the rivalry Michigan-Michigan State game. Now, last week we had Andrew saying that Harbaugh was stepping away from the khaki pants and the cleats and that it maybe was a good sign, and it doesn't look like it. So what are y'all thinking after this just beatdown by Michigan State? I mean, Michigan, again, it, it just goes back to they, they, they can't seem to get it right, and I don't know what the fix is. I don't know if um, that means you know, that it's time for them to look for a new coach. Um, but they go into basically every year with high expectations. They always seem to have good recruiting classes. Um, they, they have talent. I, I just don't get it. They just can't get past the likes of uh, some of the Big Ten powers like Ohio State, uh, Wisconsin, Penn State, um, just some of those teams. And then obviously, I mean, this week, losing to your in-state rival, uh, Michigan State, who is kind of in a rebuilding mode. Um, I don't. I don't know how you kind of come back from this. I obviously, I mean, w with the way the rest of the Big Ten is shaping up, I don't know how you can even hope for a playoff spot at this point. I, I mean, I think your season's kind of done in in that aspect. Like you alluded to, Ty, I I think it's bad coaching, poor coaching. We've talked about it multiple times uh, outside of the podcast, uh, and I know how you feel about Harwell. I think it's inexcusable, frankly. I think that's just how, like, as when it boils down, it's just inexcusable. Um, honestly, I, I think Michigan gives Harbaugh a long look now. And uh, if you can't if you can't beat uh, Michigan State, like Jameson said, rebuilding, um, not really uh, high expectations this season, and just uh, like I said, just inexcusable. Yeah, and you know there were there were really two things that stuck out to me in that Michigan State Michigan game. The first was when I looked at the Michigan State quarterback, um, when I looked at his stat line, it didn't make a lot of sense, right? If you just yeah. looked at yards, he had 323 yards, and you'd think, oh, that's awesome. But he did it on 17 of 32. That's almost 50%, which tells me it's all chunk plays. The defense yeah. is just giving up big plays. That's surprise number one. Surprise number two is how – far Michigan was willing to go away from the run game which is what they're predominantly built upon I mean Harbaugh completely abandoned it Milton threw for 51 times I believe and that's just 
that's just not going to cut it. Now, it's interesting both of you bring up the Harbaugh coaching position because that's actually a question that I want us to talk about. But there is another college football coach that I think that question needs to be, you know, asked about. And they're both kind of in that same sphere. So I want you all to put a pin in that thought because we're going to come back to that here in a little bit. Let's move forward to the next game that I thought was maybe the most entertaining game of the weekend in Minnesota, Maryland. Um, Marcus, you weren't here last week. I'm very high on Maryland. I see Maryland as being where Oregon was a few years ago in terms of a football identity, kind of trying to rebrand themselves. But, you know, after week one, he kind of asked me where I was. And to kind of answer the question, even though he's not here, I'm kind of at zero with them. You get what I mean? Like they had the bad loss, they have the good win, and it's all equal. I, I don't think that there's too much to know about Maryland as far as that is concerned. What did y'all think about that game? I mean, for one, um, I mean, credit to Minnesota for kind of hanging in there. Um, they, I mean, they had a lead for a good portion of the game and in the fourth quarter when it mattered. I mean, you, you can't put any board, points on the board. Um, you lose by one and for one, it's demoralizing because Minnesota has been on that cusp of just being a Big Ten power for a few years now. Um, and, you know, last season um, was a little disappointing. This year, what did they start at, like 18? Yeah, um, 19. 19. Somewhere in there. And to start 0-2 and then lose to Maryland, who's unranked and still um, – I know you're high on them, but they're, they're still trying to come up um, within the Big Ten. So to start your season off like that, um, that – that's got to be demoralizing for the program. Yeah. I think we, we discussed Maryland uh, a few weeks ago, Ty, actually, and you, you, you brought to me your attention or my attention that you were really high on them and they were going to be a fun team to watch this year. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think the same thing with Minnesota is it's uh, ha like it, it is demoralizing like Jameson alluded to. And I just think, I mean, if you are right about Maryland, it's going to be it's going to be interesting going forward. Oh, y'all make no mistake. When I say I'm high on Maryland, I'm, I'm looking at them as being still three years away from any sort okay. of real push because of the nature of the Big Ten, because of the nature of college football. They're so far behind the cusp of your Ohio states, your Wisconsin's. But what they do have is a really intriguing offensive mind. They were able to flip the number one receiver in the nation from the jowls of LSU, and then they pulled Tegavailoa, and he has a sensational game. Now, make no mistake, I'm, I'm not advocating. Plays. Yeah, I'm, I'm not <laughs> advocating playoffs for a high bowl game, but I'm saying we're seeing a culture change at Maryland, and it could be something like Oregon when Cristobal first got there. Now, this is, I think, the question that has to be asked. Is it more good Maryland or bad Minnesota? Uh, Maybe. Go ahead. I don't know. Minnesota, I, maybe they're just not what we thought they were coming into this year. Um, you know, part of it, too, is um, uh, Taulia, however you say his name, uh, Tagovailoa. Um, I mean, part, part of that's, too, because they have a legitimate quarterback in the backfield, and whenever you have that and a guy whose brother plays in the NFL, um, I, I think that gives Maryland a lot of confidence moving forward. Um, and with Minnesota already starting off on the wrong foot this year, I think it was just kind of catching them at a bad time. 
Baby Tua is very good. That's that's all I know. I, I dude's basically just like his brother. I love Tua uh, Tua Senior at Alabama, and uh, it, it seems like he's kind of going up the same path. And like you said, they have the number. They flip the number one receiver, and that's huge in itself. But having a having a dynamic quarterback like that is just uh, you know it, it's it helps your program a lot. And like you said, Minnesota maybe they just weren't with we, what we thought they were. I mean, you know, off the rip didn't do well and continues. There are two big disappointments in college football for me right now. And, you know, maybe that's a my bad situation. And I want y'all to call me on this if it is, right? Because maybe I, I put the cart before the horse way too quickly. Iowa State and Brock Purdy has been disappointing, and he was mocked as a possible first-round quarterback. He's struggling to put up 200 yards a game in the Big 12. That's not first-round quarterback. And then Tanner Morgan with Minnesota. He hasn't looked like the grade he was given. Am, am I wrong of how excited I was for both those quarterbacks, or are we kind of all in the same boat here? Maybe maybe you are wrong, but it, you, you have to think of it like this. And, you know, in a, in a COVID-type world, whenever you don't have the same level of training, the year-round stuff, I – you, you kind of want to give them a benefit of the doubt from what we've seen from them in the past. Um, and who knows, maybe they turn it on as the season keeps going on. But in the case of um, Purdy at Iowa State, I, I don't know how that's sort of excusable, especially in the Big 12. And the Big 12 has been going on for, what, two months now, three months now? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how you can, you can justify that in his case. Now, um, beyond that, who knows? It's the Big Twelve is. It seems to be kind of those hit, one of those just hit or miss conferences with a lot of teams that aren't OU. Yeah, I, I think I'm on the same boat with you, Ty. You know, it's pretty much hit or miss, like Jameson said. With unless you're an OU quarterback, right at this point. Yeah, I. You know what? And to be fair, the entirety of the Big Ten last week, outside of the the last big game, we'll talk about. I just want to hit on a few games before we get to the Ohio State Penn State game. Last week, Marcus, we were really high on that Indiana team. The way they finished that game, the way it was the all time great finish, man, like that. That's awesome. But they walked in against a Rutgers team that also was flying high off week one. And, hey, they walked away with a victory. I don't know how much that says about how good Indiana is because we still don't know how good Rutgers is. But, hey, you you got the big play, you got the momentum, and that's awesome. Do you all think that there's any real top 10-esque thing to Indiana, though? Yeah, me neither. I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. I'm out on Indiana, but – It's a good story. Yeah, yeah, they're intriguing. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Completely agree. Completely. No, and yeah, I, I've got to. I've got to say, I'm out as well. Whenever you have some of the teams that are already ahead of them, just in their conference alone, I don't. Uh, until I, I think at least we need to pump the brakes on them a little bit until they start playing the bigger teams like the Penn States, Ohio States, even Michigan. I don't think Michigan's a bad team, but um, it, I I want to see what they do against some of those Big Ten powers first. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. And I'll tell you another Big Ten team that is almost on the cusp of power. And I'm a, I'm a big fan because of the coaching staff. And that's Northwestern. They outlast Iowa. They're undefeated this year. 
And look, Northwestern always seems to be that team that they, they never finish super high, but they kind of always overachieve, right? And I think that just speaks to an outstanding coaching staff in a very competitive division. Uh, I don't think we learned much from the Northwestern Iowa game other than the fact that Northwestern is Northwestern, right? They're, they're smart. They're good. That's just their brand. Yeah. I, it's, it's fundamental football. And like you said, just exceeding expectations every year. That's, that's all you can ask for. And that, that falls right directly on coaching. And I, I'm trying to figure out a good comparison for them because they, they almost just seem to be one of those teams where it's just like, win in whatever way you can it, it doesn't feel like they're a team that necessarily is always beating down opponents where they're you know they're, they're good some weeks some weeks they maybe they're not so good but they they show up when they need to and they they pull out a win in different ways um what seems like on a almost weekly basis i'll tell you a good comp for them it was the Mike Leach Washington State teams are kind of a good comp for Northwestern, where you look at how they're recruiting, who they have to go up against, and they're already kind of far behind the pale. But they just did it out of discipline and surprisingly defense. Now, you know, Leach had a, uh, a, has a staff member, Darcel McBeth, who I think is a phenomenal defensive coach. Shout out Gainesville High School. Uh, he went there, played for Texas Tech. So always, always proud of my guys. But I think this gets us to the game of the week um, in the Big Ten, and that is Penn State, Ohio State. Now, sadly, as much as I want to say we learned a whole lot in this game, I don't know how much we did. Ohio State just kind of handled business, and Penn State looks good, but not great. I don't know. Where, where are y'all at right here? I think a lot of it comes down to Justin Fields and the experience that he has because he he looks like he's improved off last year and last year he was good but this year I want to say he's he's got a I don't think he's thrown an interception yet this year um, through two games and granted it it has only been two games but when you have a guy at the helm who has experience running a big time program like that who played in the college football playoff last year I think that experience is going to pay off tremendously for Ohio State going through the rest of this year yeah I, I can't agree more uh, especially on the field thing it, it, he was really efficient he really looked you know experienced is a great word to use like Jameson alluded to um, I know I I know a lot of people thought that had mixed feelings about Penn State I was kind of on the um, I didn't really love them this year um, I, I think when we were watching the game uh, a couple weeks ago Ty I was like yeah, I just want Penn State to lose. And you're like, oh, I respect that. So um, no, no uh, specific reason. But I, I just, you know, I just don't really, I don't really love them. And I don't think, you know, they're that great. So like, like you said, I, I don't think it really proves much about Ohio State. But, but like we've said, Justin Fields just looks really good. And um, when you have, like we said about Baby Tua, when you have a quarterback who's fluid, um, experienced, and can perform, it, it's going to take your team a long way. And I, I think another thing to mention, too, is how good Ohio State's rushing defense could be after holding a team to 44 yards rushing on 27 carries. I yeah. mean, that, I, it, the average comes out to just over a yard and a half per carry. Watch um, Zach Harris and, moving forward. As you have a superstar receiver, right, that's a freshman that might be the most intriguing freshman receiver in the nation, 
The downside is Ohio State has a freshman receiver that's also in the argument for most intriguing freshman receiver, and it's the kid Jackson Smith and Jigba from right here in Texas. Now I'm going to give you all a little hint. At Dave Campbell's right now, I'm working on the top 100 players that ever came from the state of Texas. Jackson Smith and Jigba is one of them. That shows you how supremely good he is. And he already had the Center highlight catch. So I think you both hit the nail on the head. And I think that it really puts Ohio State in, you know, I think we all expected playoff contention. But championship contention is right there. And, Jameson, to your point, I want to ask you both this question. Can you see a situation in which Justin Fields overtakes Trevor Lawrence as QB1? Put this in mind. The, the fact that his dual threat is so coveted in today's NFL with what it opens up can make it very interesting for a team. What do you all think? It can, and I, I think a lot of it may come down to fit and who's picking number one overall. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence has kind of been the unanimous, you know, number one pick for years now. And they've been saying since he was in high school, this is the best quarterback we've seen since Andrew Luck and maybe John Elway, um, which obviously that those are high standards to live up to. And Trevor Lawrence has obviously shown that he's living up to those standards. But I talked about it last week. Justin Fields isn't too far behind Trevor Lawrence. And a lot of people have been coming out with this conclusion that Trevor Lawrence is, um, you know, automatically Heisman winner this year, number one overall pick. Um, who, you know, if the, if the Jets get the number one pick, I know there's been some people saying maybe he just comes back for another year at Clemson. Um, who knows? But I think the competition is a lot closer than a lot of people think. Look around the NFL right now and look at the MVP candidates, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, and Pat Mahomes. I think that's a compelling argument in itself that, yeah, Justin Fields is not all that off. And, you know, we look around the league and, you know, we have the conventional quarterbacks, you know, your Drew Breeses and, you know, your Tom Brady's. But um, I, I think the whole mobility thing might give Fields a little bit of an edge around, you know, draft time, especially when the combine comes around. Um, like I said, Kyler has really exceeded my expectations this year. and He has been brilliant. Oh. I could have never – like, I, I don't think the Cardinals could have asked anything better for him to, to become. Um, but, I, I mean, I think a team that like the Dallas Cowboys should give Justin Fields a long look this, uh, this offseason. No, no. I, I, both of you, I want you out of here with that nonsense because Justin Fields <laughs> is going to come on home to Minnesota. Right, and my Minnesota Vikings were gonna be just fine with Dalvin. I'm not a Cowboys fan. I just, I just alluded to it. <laughs> hey, hey, it wouldn't be a bad fit though, right? And I think no. the interesting thing with Fields, because Kyler, they're all so unique. The one thing that Fields is a little bit different to me than all of those guys is his mobility is probably closer to Russell Wilson than a Kyler and a Lamar, not only in speed and change of direction, but how he chooses to use his mobility. He's arguably he's the most athletic guy on the field who doesn't display it because he, he just plays quarterback. It's, it's awe-inspiring to watch him play, really. Yeah, it, it's the Pat Mahomes and Russell Wilson thing. Is like they both they can run whenever, whenever they need to, but – how are they going to win majority of their games? They're going to be efficient. They're going to be effective and they're going to throw the ball. 
and that, and you know, they're going to torch you when they need to. Um, and you know, fields could be something just like that. Yeah. And it's, it's, if you don't like Ohio state, I don't know how to break this to you, but it's not going to stop. Right. They, they have quarterbacks already loaded. And I don't know if both of you saw Quinn Ewers who decommitted from Texas is now crystal ball to Ohio state. That's terrifying right? Like that kid is next level. So we talked a little bit earlier about some of the fluctuation within the Big Ten. And now I want to go to a conference where there is no fluctuation. And there hasn't been for a long time. And that's the ACC. And this is super interesting, right? Because I want to start it off with North Carolina. And Marcus, I don't know if you've heard it. I don't know if I've gotten to talk to you about it. I was pretty high on North Carolina, and not North Carolina as a whole, but aspects of their recruiting and Sam Howell. And I stand by that because Sam Howell had 420 yards. But, hey, now's y'all's time to pile it on me about North Carolina because they took the second loss of the year, and they might have the two worst losses in all of college football, Florida State and Virginia. What do y'all think? You know, it's it has to be some of the blame on their defense because they have a future NFL caliber quarterback. They have two of the top rushers in college football, or not even top rushers, just talented running backs. And then a receiver, too, they're set. So I don't – whenever you're giving up 44 points to a Virginia team um, and you are, you know, not living up to your, your hype in the ACC, when it, which, you know, outside of – a couple of teams like Clemson, Notre Dame. Um, and that's really it. There's not a whole lot of competition for that, you know, that third spot in the conference. Um, when you're not living up to those expectations of the type of talent, recruiting, coaching, and all of that together, um, there, there's a lot of uh, red flags to, to start thinking about in the future. Yeah, I think, um, like you said, a really good quarterback, a really good run game. And, you know, I think me and you, Ty, or maybe it was Andrew, one of y'all was pretty in on North Carolina. Um, I was like, oh, I don't really know. I, I don't know a whole lot about this team. Um, and I'm glad I didn't learn much about them. Um, that but, was me. Hey, you know. I own up to it. That, that was 100% me. And that is a 1-800 um, my bad. Yeah, but you know, I, I think uh, like 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 you alluded to in our uh, in our prep is how do you throw four touchdowns and you know still lose the game? How do you throw four hundred yards, four touchdowns, and lose a game to a Virginia team that shouldn't even be competing? Like that almost seems like they tried to lose the game, right? Like that's that is wild, and I want to pose this to y'all right? Because they already have two losses, but it's not going to get any better because they still have Notre Dame. They still have Clemson and they still have Miami. They haven't played Miami yet. Have they? I don't think so. No. Yeah. So you could have five losses by the end of this year. And that's best case scenario. That's not a good place to be going into next year. That's, that's really rough. Um, but it's the ACC, right? Like, there, there hasn't what, been a whole lot of consistency. Yeah. What, what more can we expect from, from the conference? I agree. And, you know, maybe the second best team in the ACC is Notre Dame. And they took on Georgia Tech this week. And call me a hater. I, 
I didn't see anything that made me think that North, I'm sorry, not North, Notre Dame was any sort of contender. They beat Georgia Tech, who Clemson hung 73 points on, and Ian Book has 199 yards. What do I, what do, I do with that? They are, I don't know, we talked about it a little bit last week. Is it, it doesn't feel like, Notre Dame has felt like one of those teams for years where you can't fully buy in on the hype until you see them actually perform. And you know, that's going to be interesting this week against Clemson. Because where even if they beat Clemson, there may be an asterisk next to it whenever you're talking about like quality wins because they, they're missing their, you know, their number one overall pick quarterback. And while um, that kid that's a backup there is, you know, he's big, he's strong, he's accurate. He looked really good last week. Um, it, it's still not the, you know, it's still not Trevor Lawrence. And so, um, you know, I, I think Notre Dame has a good defense. I mean, they, they gave up 26 to Florida State earlier this year. Um, but other than that, they haven't given up more than 13 points in a game. Um, so if, if it's going to be sort of these grinded out wins, um, I, I'm interested to see how that holds up against a team like Clemson. Um, and, uh, yeah, just seeing where that goes in the, in the future. I don't think they really stand a chance against this Clemson team, even without Trevor Lawrence. Honestly, I'm not even phased by this Notre Dame team. Um, I just, I, I've never really been able to buy into them. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago, I think. Uh, but I just, I, and it's like Jason said, it's just a team that you could never really buy into. And I, I like, even when they do play well, I'm like, no, I just can't buy into another Dame team. I just literally can't. Like, there's just something about team that I, I, I will never buy into. And, you know, I, like I said, no worry from, from the Clemson sideline. I don't think this weekend. So the first uh, few points, right? First, I think the not buying into Notre Dame, at least for me, right? And maybe this is my bias, but I, I'll never forget that national championship against Bama when Manti Teo no. was supposed to be your first round linebacker. And I don't know if y'all remember first drive of the games, the football gods couldn't have planned it any better for us because the hole opens up and we have Manti Teo one-on-one against Eddie Lacy. And Eddie Lacy ran through him like he wasn't even there and kept going for a 32-yard touchdown. Ever since that moment, I was like, okay, y'all are pretenders. Y'all just aren't built for this. The second point I have, Jameson, I'm going to push back on something you said a little bit. I want to get both of your opinions on this. If Notre Dame is to upset Clemson in this game, hypothetically, I don't believe it's going to happen. But let's have a little fun here, right, at Notre Dame's expense. If they upset Clemson, I think it depends how the game goes down before I put an asterisk next to it. Because this kid at quarterback, I get it. He's not Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is their best player. I'm not doubting that. He was the number three player in the nation, number two quarterback in the nation. And we saw in his game, he wasn't the reason they struggled against Boston College, right? If the defense continues not to step up and they lose that way, I'm not going to have any problem because Trevor Lawrence wasn't there. Maybe that's a little harsh, but, you know, I still I don't think it matters as far as a playoff berth because I think they're good enough to get in, like, you know. So it, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. But what do you all think about that? Um, I, I think it's interesting. And, you know, with um, that, it being DJ's first start, granted he's had some, you know, spot cleanup time 
um, this year against a Boston College team who's not, you know, not necessarily a power in the ACC. I, I think they're a decent football Sneaky team. Sneaky good. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a decent football team. Um, but I don't know. That does make it interesting if the Clemson defense isn't necessarily hang, keeping them, um, keeping opponents within the, you know, the distance that they're used to, where they're used to just like blowing teams out. Like I, whoever it was a couple weeks ago where they beat them 73 to um, Georgia state, which is who yeah. Notre Dame just played. Okay. Yeah. So we will see how it goes. However, the talent that Clemson has on offense, especially whenever Trevor Lawrence is there, they, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you can keep up with them. So. Yeah. If, if Notre Dame somehow pulls out the upset, it doesn't mean anything to me either. Uh, I just asterisk it. Um, it's fine. No Trevor Lawrence. That's, that's cool. Um, if the defense, you know, I think the defense is going to hold their own, honestly. And I, I'm not really, I don't know. Like, I, hypothetically, I just, like I said, I think it'll still be Asterix win. And it, it's not going to push Notre Dame into any kind of serious conversation. I at least, I hope not. <laughs> you and me both. Now, I want to get y'all's <laughs> predictions because now, all kidding aside at the expense of Notre Dame, even without Trevor Lawrence, I have Clemson by two touchdowns. That's, yeah, that's, I, I'd probably put this spread about 17, yeah. What do you think? I would, I would say double digits. I, I want to keep them in the 10-point range. Um, okay. But, you know, I, I, I can't buy into Notre Dame. I, I can't do it. However, I think there's a reason they're number four, and I think there is a reason why they haven't lost. Um, and I, 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 I'm interested to see them play against really their first like actual competition of the year. Yeah, I think um, it's going to be really interesting, but I don't know how much of a challenge it's going to be even without Trevor Lawrence. DJ Uangalele is just going to establish his name, right, as a household name. And, you know, unfortunately for all of college football, Clemson's reign continues at the quarterback position. Now, this is the part of the show where I get really bummed out that Andrew isn't here because now we got to talk about the dumpster fire division. And his team resides there, right? And I, I, I really wish we could hear from him, but I want to hear from y'all. Texas versus Oklahoma State. Texas pulls the upset, but what does that upset mean to both of you? Not too much i i know we kind of touched on it last week about oklahoma state whether or not they were for real for you know this year um it, it's kind of typical texas if you ask me because they seem to do it every year where they have that big win it's like okay well maybe you know they're you know maybe they could turn it around i mean obviously sitting at four and two they're not in great position and i i, I don't think they really have any shot at making the college football playoff at this point um, I, it's, it, it's Texas and it's the big 12, you know, Oklahoma state, they are coming up as a program. They've been, um, sort of just in the mix as some of one of the top teams in the big 12 for a few years now. Um, and, and they're, you know, superstar running back Trevor Hubbard. He didn't really do anything impressive. I mean, he averaged less than three yards a carry and, um, granted, you know, Texas didn't play that well offensively. And I know you, you haven't noted in here, 
um, about um, Sam Ellinger and his stats, but they, they still somehow figured out a way to win this game. Yeah, yeah. I it, <laughs> the, the whole overtime win, it's so Texas-like, and it's – I, I don't know. I can't buy into them. I I I'm I'm a Texas fan. I will I will admit I I am a Texas fan. And when everybody went crazy on Twitter saying Texas is back and this is fun, okay, I get it. But I it doesn't really mean much to me. I I just I it wasn't that impressive to me. I guess I, it, this is what we expect Texas to do every once in a while. Like Jameson said, there's going to be you know the the one game where they beat somebody important and it's like, Oh wow, we're, we're great. And Sam's playing amazing. And I just, I feel bad for Sam, honestly. And, uh, and you know, I, 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 I just, I can't give them that much credit. No. And <laughs> I can't think of a more fraudulent upset of a top 10 <laughs> team to an unranked team. Texas, if I'm not mistaken, y'all correct me, please, if I'm wrong, didn't they have four turnovers in that game? Yeah. What is the statistical yeah. chance that you win a football game when your quarterback has less than 200 yards and you have four turnovers? It's got to be next to nothing, right? Like, that's <laughs> this has got to be a statistical anomaly, right? I, I don't know. Maybe I, I'd assume. <laughs> I've never heard of that. I've never heard of that. Maybe a little bit, but I think another thing, somebody had brought it up to me that last week, and I think it's interesting, is Joseph Osai and how well he played in this game and possibly, you know, playing himself into first round, you know, draft status. I mean, if you go through the stat sheet and you have 12 tackles and three sacks, six tackles for loss, and then two fumble recoveries as well. I mean, that's a, that's a game. Yeah. No, I yeah, mean, they have to himself into the top 15. No, I, I completely agree. They got playmakers, but that's why it makes this all the more infuriating. Now, you remember earlier when I wanted to put a pin in the conversation about Harbaugh. This is exactly why, okay? Because I think, and, you know, push back by all means, Harbaugh and Herman are in the same boat, where they've been a disappointment, but they each have games that they can point to and say, but this is why you should keep me right? Herman, a bit more of a disappointment. Harbaugh has been fairly successful against the, the 15 to 25 rank, which a lot of Big Ten teams find themselves in. But I think while I agree that both of them should be on the hot seat, maybe Herman more so than Harbaugh, because of the recruiting losses, Billy Bowman decommits from Texas and a week later commits to OU. And I don't, I, I quote, I swear to God, and I quote, he said, OU just has a coaching staff that knows what they're doing. Like, it, it goes back to what Brendan told us, Jameson, last week, where he said he didn't think that Tom Herman was a trustworthy person. So what, do you all agree? I think that Herman and Harbaugh are on the same plane as far as hot seat. But is there anybody better? What do you all think? I mean – I know Texas fans have been kind of clamoring for this, not only this year, but for a few years now, is bringing an Urban Meyer aboard. Um, you know, kind of the, the guy who got Tom Herman this job at Texas is what it feels like. Um, I, I think he might be your best bet. Um, however, I mean, he didn't necessarily have the prettiest falling out with Ohio State. 
and um, he he's you know he's not a young guy either, and he's had his own health issues because didn't didn't he step away at least for a little bit due to some sort of heart condition or um, something along those lines? Florida, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, obviously he he has a history of turning around programs, and you know they're they're not little programs either. I mean, Florida, the Ohio State, like those are some of the biggest programs in the world. To be fair, um, Jim Trestle had Ohio State and them boys running on all cylinders. You've got to remember, they were on those NCAA bands, though. Uh, Braxton Miller, I think it was, only lost one or two games in college. It's just they could never go anywhere because they weren't bowl eligible. That's fair. And, and, and that's fair. Um, but when you have guys, in, especially when it's programs like Michigan and Texas that have such high expectations every year and you're not living up to it, I think you have to, even whereas you're, you're talking about how each Harbaugh and um, Herman, they can point to these key victories to where it's like, oh, well, we did this. You know, Texas is probably the Sugar Bowl um, a couple of years ago against Georgia. And for um, Michigan, they, they have their, their spotty moments as well. Um, but for a program with that big of programs, with that, the, that big of expectations, um, you know, unless you're consistently winning a conference and, you know, getting right up there into playoff condition, if, if not um, actually being in the playoff, um, you know, one of the four teams um, in the playoff, it's, it's got to be disappointing for either program. I think Texas fans are pretty much fed up with Herman at this point. Um, and it's interesting that you brought that that uh up that herman wasn't a trustworthy guy you're probably the like 10th person i've heard say that which is really interesting um and it's interesting because if you look at herman's track record since he's been at texas everything off the field kind of seemed very like iffy to me and i i was kind of surprised that you know they you know when they went to play georgia i was like okay they lost to ou I thought he was for sure done after an OU loss, um, I think last year, and they kept him. I think it's going to be the same story again this year. He's going to point to this win. Um, and the good thing about Texas is they're always they're, – they're not afraid to pull the trigger, but I think they kind of survey the land. What is the likelihood of us getting Urban Meyer? I don't think high – um, but who knows, you know, maybe, you know, maybe they know something we don't, but uh, I just, I think they're going to hold on to Herman and just let it roll and just figure it out. And if they disappoint again next season, I think next season, he's going to get that really long look this year, you know, he can excuse COVID um, and, you know, all, all of the, the, uh, you know, shortened season, shortened training camps, all of that. Um, and that, you know, that could also be, something he can allude to for the recruiting you know you can't have in-house visits and you know virtual recruiting is really hard so um you know maybe that's maybe that's what's going to keep him his job for the next year but I, I do think he should be on the hot seat so you know you're 100 percent right man like I, I think both of you Jameson you brought it up earlier um when we were talking about the big 10 Marcus you bring it up now COVID throws such a wrench into all of the evaluation of this season because nobody has had a fair shake at an offseason, right? Like, we're kind of in, honest to God, week two form right now. A lot of these teams are, where they're just kind of getting into the fold. And so y'all are both 100% right. It does kind of breed these overreactions. 
here's where I, I kind of draw the line. Though. When you talk about recruiting and not having in-house business, I understand not everybody can be Alabama, but Saban is a guy that didn't do emails or nothing on the mobile end. He's always been very face-to-face, -face, very about talking. In April, the Alabama Crimson Tide had the 55th best receiving, or re, I'm sorry, recruiting class in the nation. They were 55th in the nation. As it stands today, they are number one. So if, if, if Nick Saban can go from 55 in April to number one now, there's no excuse for Tom Herman to be outside the top 10. I think we look back at that stat you threw at me uh, a couple weeks ago is uh, how many first round picks has Saban put put out to how many has Texas put out that's that's 100%. that's you know that's just what it is Texas hasn't produced anybody that's been great in the league it's just it's it's just clear as day so why would players want to go there you know and especially with OU like OU has three like it looks like they're gonna have a track record to have four number one picks like I mean it's 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 insane yeah, and and not only that, but if when you if you're a recruit looking at it, I mean not only just NFL status, but like even if you're you just want to go to a team to win, I mean Texas hasn't proven anything. They haven't proven that they're going to win their conference, which you know is arguably you know it, it's fighting for kind of the the fourth or fifth out of the Power Five because um, obviously I mean you have to put Big Ten and the SEC above them, ACC. Um, I, I want to say has already surpa surpassed them as a conference and the PAC 12 has their own issues to work through. Um, but Texas doesn't even really have that solidified chance of winning their conference because they do have to get past, um, you know, Oklahoma. And then every, every couple of years you, you throw in a Baylor or West Virginia or Kansas state um, that that's up there within the, um, the conference. And then Alabama, obviously not only, or they're winning their conference, they're dominating their conference, and then co consistently reaching the college football playoff. So um, if you're a recruit wanting to win, uh, much less wanting to go to the, you know, go into the, the draft, um, I, I don't know how you can sit there and give Texas a look and, and want to go there. Yeah, and, you know, I think it's interesting, Marcus, you bring up OU. I made a video earlier. I know a lot of people aren't super high on Rattler right now, and I, I get it, right? Because, look, I'm not saying Rattler's the reason for any loss, but I, I think that you would also be remiss if you denied that he didn't help the cause, right, with those last-second interceptions where they had the ability to go win the game. Now, granted, there were four quarters of football to be played before that moment that contributed to them being in that situation. That's not Rattler's fault. But he's a young guy. I'm with you, though, Marcus. I'm, I'm in the other camp. I haven't given up on him yet. I think that the kid has got such an intriguing talent that only a handful of quarterbacks have. The being able to throw off of an unlimited platform as accurately as he does is, is not something I'm willing to just shake off like that. I mean, I think that they have another Heisman winner right there, ready to go. I completely, I completely agree with that. I, I, I haven't given up on him. Like, like you said, he's still young and he's not, he, people forget Kyler Murray didn't play. Like he, he was, he didn't just come out of nowhere. You know, uh, you know, he went to a and he sat there, he sat behind Baker Mayfield in, at 
you know, I, he, he got his experience and, you know, that's that, you know, it wasn't playing, but learning under these guys is, is great. And so I, like you said, Rattler's arm talent is enough for me. And, and I, I just can't, like you said, can't shake it off. And I, I can't give up on him. I think he's going to, he, he might be a number one pick in, in a couple of years. Yeah, and you know, you brought up A&M. I think that's the perfect segue to the SEC and not talking about A&M because I want to fill you in on this. I have a little nickname for a team in the SEC. And last week, I foolishly and mistakenly, and this is a my bad, guys. This is, you know, I jumped the gun on this one. I was trying to be nice, but no more. That's the last nice tie you see all year. I call the, S, or I call the LSU Tigers the Puddle Kittens, okay? And when they won last week, I upgraded them from the Puddle Kittens to the Fresh Foul Water Cubs instead of the Bayou Bengals. But after they got trounced by Auburn, they are right back down to the Puddle Kittens. Where, where does LSU go from here? Because I don't see a light right now. I... I want to say you just have to start looking forward to future years um, be, because again, you have to remember how much NFL talent that they lost in coaching as well. Um, they, they, you know, they, they kept Ed Orger on, but they, I want to, didn't they lose both the offensive and defensive coordinators? Passing coordinator who was really the offensive coordinator last year. Ed O said that Steve Esminger called 85% of the plays, but we've seen Esminger has been there since 2015. That offense was different one year, right? Like, it was Joe Brady who they lost, and Dave Aranda's the guy who made DBU. Yeah. And so I, I think that's something that you have to remember, and you it's not going to be an overnight fix, especially in the SEC and especially in the um, – granted, it's not the same this year um, with the SEC having the East and West um, sections of it. But you're not going to – really come back from you know overall overall uh, number one pick um quarterback and then you you only return was it one starter on offense um five in total five in total yeah i mean that that's not something to really play around with and, and it, i i think you do have to remember i mean and just it also speaks to how good of a football team that they were last year um and and uh, only a team like an Alabama or a um, Clemson or Ohio State, those are really the main teams that can actually restock from that type of um, turnover. LSU on the national championship hangover. Just, it, it's fun, you know, it, it happens to the best of us. And uh, Coach O is just going to keep uh, hitting up Tinder girls and, uh, oh, you know, hope, hope, hopefully, uh, Hopefully, you know, he's, he's recruiting as well as he is on Tinder, uh, you know, off the field, you know, hopefully, hopefully his recruiting class is as good as his Tinder class. So, um, you know, what did we learn from Auburn or LSU? I think we learned more about LSU just not being great. And, you know, they're, they're, they're a ways out and like there's zero bright spots. Um, but like I said, you just got to hope that he recruits as, he, as well as he does on Tinder. Have y'all seen Waterman? <laughs> yeah. Y'all know the scene where that coach who can't speak English is with all the cheerleaders and they're getting wild. When I saw that, that's all I could think about was that exact scene. And I was like, 2020 is a meme, man. Like, you can just talk. No, and, you know, this is where I'm going to 
y'all can check me. It's me, right? This is Ty here. This is where I'm going to be nice to LSU. Despite all of the turnover, they have some of the most talented players in all of the nation, right? They have Arik Gilbert, that freshman tight end, who might be the most intriguing skill position as a freshman in all of college football. He's going to be a top 10 pick, and I can guarantee that now. They have Derek Stingley Jr., Elias Ricks. They have a they have a D end who's just killing it. So all things being said, Jameson, I really think both of you hit the nail on the head. It's it's championship hangover. And, you know, to be fair to them, you deserve it, right? Like you had the greatest season of all time with arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. And you went undefeated and it was incredible. You get to remember that, but I didn't know they'd fall off this hard. You know, and especially even coming into this year, because they started the season ranked at number six. I mean, they came into this year with some sort of expectations, whereas everybody kind of knew they were going to fall off a little bit. Um, how far they've fallen has been kind of surprising to me. I don't know if, you know, y'all feel the same way. Um, but I I don't know. It's LSU's a team that's still they, – they've got a ways to go, and especially in the SEC and how, how tough it is. A&M's coming up through there. Um, on on their side of the conference too, it's it's going to be you know a rough stretch for the next couple of years too. Yeah, I I think it just it's it, you're just gonna have to deal with it. And like I said, just I, I I don't know if we've seen a turnover this bad. Um, but you know if you look at you know if you compare them to an NFL team or you know look at look at the San Francisco 49ers right now, it's just you know when you lose that much talent, it's it, it's going to reflect no matter how good the coaching is and. Um, you know, unfortunately, LSU lost a lot of coaching too. So, yeah, I, I'm not super. I am, and I'm not right. I, I knew that they would struggle this year. I didn't know they'd struggle this bad. And look, I think that the worst thing you can say about LSU this year is actually maybe a, a hubris issue, right? Where they think that the continuation of the success is easier than what it actually is. But, hey, if you're going to win a championship in that manner, I don't mind you learning that lesson the hard way because at least you did it, right? But there are two other SEC games I want to get into, and now it's, it's my favorite time where I get to feel all warm and fuzzy inside because we get to talk about Alabama football. And they pitched a shutout against Mississippi State. I know Mississippi State isn't good, right? I, I understand that. But did y'all, what did y'all think about that game? I mean, for one, to beat a team by 41 points whenever you lost arguably your best receiver. I mean, um, coming into this week, I mean, obviously they're, they're still stacked at receiver even without Jalen Waddell. Um, you know, Mississippi State's not great, and everybody thought maybe Mississippi State's back whenever they took down, you know, number six LSU in week one. <laughs> We've lost four straight. Um, so it's it's kind of – having, you know, Alabama, I, I, I know Alabama's ranked number two. They're right up there with Clemson. Um, they are, they, I, I'm really excited to see those two Titans meet later on in the year. Um, but, you know, Devontae Smith absolutely just obliterated uh, Mississippi State secondary. Um, Mac Jones was efficient as usual. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, obviously giving up a goose egg to any – conference opponent uh, that's something to be proud of as a team yeah I, I think Bama's the best team in the country and I it 
we talked about it, Ty, when we watched the, watched the game a couple of weeks ago. And even with Waddle out, it just doesn't feel like this team's going to skip a beat. And that's scary when your best player is out for the rest of the year. Um, so, you know, I, I think they're the best team in the country. And so, you know, I, what can Mississippi State really do? What do we expect them to do? Um, you know, maybe, you know, maybe kick a field goal or I, I don't really know. But um, I, I think um, I think it's, like I said, Bama's going to be the best team. And I, I have, you know, I have a friend who went to me or who goes to Mississippi State and he was all excited after LSU went. And, oh, it's been all downhill sledding since then. Yeah. And so here's what I'll say, right? Because I think you both make interesting points. Mississippi State isn't very good, but a shutout is a shutout. Right? Like, that's, that's impressive. Now, the reason I think I'm so impressed with this win is because there was so much talk, and deservedly so, about how bad the Alabama defense was, right? But since that old Miss game and since the first half of Georgia, that Alabama defense has been really, I'm not going to say top 10, right? They're not. But they're playing with an opportunistic vibe to them that puts them in that upper echelon right? There are better defenses, but it's the turnovers. It's the way they're scheming right now. Where are y'all at on the defense? Because I think that they're one of the more improved defenses from start to finish this year in college football. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and even the Ole Miss game, I mean, you give up 48 points to Ole Miss, um, you know, you're not feeling great about it, but against, you, you look back in the earlier season, whenever they played an A&M team, um, that's been putting up some points, and they, they gave up 24 there. They gave up 24 to Georgia, 17 to Tennessee, and obviously a shutout here. Um, it's, you know, maybe it's more of the bend-don't-break defense um, and, and just sort of, you know, you can give up this play every now and again, but when it counts, it's, it's lockdown. Um, and, and so I, I think that's going to be very interesting, pairing that with the type of offense and type of offensive weapons that they have. I think we can tone down a little bit on the Mississippi State uh, beatdown. I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here. A shutout is a shutout. Um, A shutout is a shutout. But, you know, Bama's defense is good. Um, I I don't think they're awesome. And, you know, I – I think that, you know, if they, they could be improved and if this, if this is um, what's going to happen going forward, then like I said, Bama's a scary team. Their offense is already very scary and that their offense alone puts, puts them in that number one, you know, team in the country, like in my mind, but I think we might overstate the, uh, that Bama defense a little bit uh, against Mississippi state. So here's my pushback on that point, because that's a completely real point, right? Here's, here's my biggest pushback on that. If you look at this year and the problem with the Alabama defense, it was two things. One, missed tackling. Against the old Miss game, I went back and watched. They could have taken away 275 yards of offense on the dot with missed tackling. And I still accounted for an average statistical rate of missed tackles that Alabama does per game. And it was 275 yards, 21 points taken off the board. That could have happened had they not missed tackles. The second thing is, is the three blind mice are playing linebacker for Alabama right now. And they are the three most athletic blind mice you've ever seen in your life. 
But the middle linebackers from Alabama up until about the second half of Georgia were getting killed with running back screens out the backfield. They've cleaned up the running back screens, and the missed tackling has really been brought back into the fold. So while I completely agree, I'm not, I don't think they're a top 10 defense. I think that they're a, maybe they could be a top 20 defense, but they play with the opportunistic nature of a top 10 defense, which is really what you need. Here's what I will say, too. They got a true freshman, Malachi Moore that has two or three interceptions this year and had that play against Tennessee, I don't know if y'all remember it, where he came up, hit the running back, and then ripped the ball right from him and ran it in 60 yards for a touchdown. This, the, the DBs for Bama are phenomenal, but I, you're 100% right, Marcus. They're not as good as even the upper of what I've been hearing them say. You're 100% right there. Yeah, I, I, I just, you know, I, I can't completely buy in yet. But, you know, top 20 is fair. I'll, I'll give them top 20, and that, that's, that'll be the, the middle ground for us. Yeah, I, look, <laughs> everything that I think you could argue that's negative about the Bama defense is 100% true, and your argument is even strengthened when you look at the top teams in the nation, right? When, when we talk about Clemson, and when I bring up the fact that the middle linebackers have been abused by running backs out the backfield, well, when you play Clemson, now you got to go against Etienne. What are you going to do against him? So you're 100% right there. Um, I think that here's where, I, here's where I'm comfortable. I think that our defense is good enough to where you can't stop our offense while simultaneously beating the defense. Correct. And that's what's scary about Bama. So the, the game of the week in the SEC to me was Florida-Missouri. And not because Missouri is some powerhouse, right? But because Florida looks pretty efficient on offense. I know Andrew really was sad to be here because he, and I quote, says, Florida by 100 against Georgia this week. So we'll see about that. But hey, to his credit, Kyle Pitts is the most intriguing maybe player in college football right now at the tight end spot. I mean, he's being mocked at number five, for God's sakes. Where are y'all at with this Florida win? You know, Florida's, Florida's been keeping this up all year. Kyle Trask has looked legitimate, um, you know, and as you said, Kyle Pitts has been coming up, and Kyle Pitts is a damn good tight end. I mean, he's big, he's strong, he's athletic. They – whether or not they get past Georgia, I'll be interested to see. I, I'm, I'm really excited to see this game because it's a good measuring stick for um, – Florida moving forward this year because really the only you know competition that they've had was A&M and it's a good A&M team where they only lost by three I mean you put up 38 points um, in an SEC game and and, and still lose um, I, I think Florida is legit yeah I, I think Florida is really legit too and I, I think you know they're going to be a team that we if they if they can get past Georgia this week you know they have a shot at the college football playoff and um, you know, they're going to give, they're going to, if they can get past Georgia, then they have to see Bama. And that's, that's where things get a little bit tricky. Um, but they might give Bama, you know, a little bit of a, a little bit of a fun game. And I, I can't say that I, I will say, I can't say that Florida is going to win this game this weekend, but I think they're going to make it interesting. And I think it's going to be the game of the week. So I, I, I tan is down game of the week and, um, you know, I, I, 
I think uh, I think you should buy into them though if you if you're debating on it. Yeah, no, both of you are 100% right. Kyle Trask is having a hell of a year, and this is without a doubt game of the week, right? I mean, anytime you get two SEC powerhouses playing, and I'm biased to SEC, I've always been biased to SEC, and it's not just relegated to Alabama, but any big-time SEC play is always going to garner my attention. Um, This is absolutely game of the week. It has all the implications on the line for it a playoff berth for whoever wins. Because, look, if Florida can win out, there's a path for two SEC teams in the playoff, right? Even if Bama loses in the SEC championship, there's a way for two SEC teams to get in. It just requires them both to, for everybody to have one loss. So the SEC is super intriguing. Now, there's a player on Missouri, right, kind of getting away from the game. Um, And I want to talk to y'all a little bit as we wind down tonight's podcast about a few more subjects before we get into the games of next week. One of them being the draft coming up, right? I want to talk to y'all a little bit about the draft, get y'all's idea on who y'all are interested in, and then some Heisman talk. Uh, this, This linebacker from Missouri, Nick Bolton, he's someone scary to watch. If he doesn't go in the first round, somebody is getting an absolute bargain wherever he goes, really physical guy. When y'all are thinking about the draft, it doesn't even have to be a sleeper. Who are y'all really just looking towards? Man, I I know every, maybe it's basic talking about it, but the Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence thing, I've been fascinated with all year. And I I, I don't think that's, um, you know, how could you not? I, I don't think it's necessarily a stretch because Justin Fields will be the undisputed number one overall pick in any other year that's not Trevor Lawrence, that's not, you know, being compared to Andrew Luck and John Elway, who are the two the two best quarterback prospects we've ever seen. Um, and so I, I, it's hard for me to really get excited about really any other, you know, competition between players than those two are. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we talked about it earlier. The Fields thing is going to be really interesting going forward. I, 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 I love the idea of it, um, that Fields goes somehow one over Lawrence. That, that'd, be, that'd be some story, um, especially with Lawrence missing games because of COVID. I think that's, that's cool. Like, that's interesting. You know, it makes it a little bit more fun for us. Um, I, I think, you know, like, like James has said, any other year, Fields is like consensus number one, if, you know, with, without Lawrence being there. So I think what trickles down to is like, what are you looking for in a quarterback? Um, and we're going to talk about the Heisman watch is like, the, how, how good is Fields in that conversation? And, you know, if he wins the Heisman, you know, does that strengthen his draft stock or, you know, where, where does that put teams on him? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because updated Heisman betting odds as of this morning via ESPN, if I'm not mistaken, one is now Mac Jones. Mac Jones yeah. is averaging 80% completion on throws 30 plus yards downfield. Y'all, this is not a dink and dunk offense. This guy's legit. That being said, Right. As, as I am here, I think Mac Jones deserves a trip to New York because he's been stellar. He is not 
Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. And he's great. I think that Mac Jones might even play himself into the back half of the first round. He's not Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. I think the Heisman comes down to those two. And it's a shame because Etienne and Najee Harris deserve to be on that stage as well. And you can make the, the, uh, the argument for Trask too. Like I, 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 you know, I would listen if someone was like, Hey, Kyle Trask going to be in that conversation too. And, you know, but kudos to Mac Jones. I I think another interesting guy is um, Zach Wilson at BYU. Um, You know, he, he, he's, Sort of played lights out for him. You know, BYU is not a slouch team. They played their way in the top 10. They're 7-0. Um, you know, Zach Wilson's been really efficient this year. Granted, you, I, I don't see how you put him in over, you know, Lawrence Fields, Mac Jones, um, Trask. Really, the, there's probably, you know, five or six guys ahead of him. But, you know, if this was a different year where you don't have transition, these type of transcendent quarterbacks I I think he would have made it very interesting yeah and look I love Zach Wilson you know Jameson how high I've been on this kid I mean I've been texting y'all every NFL throw he makes because he just makes it look so good but I think the question would have to be asked who are you taking out of that conversation to insert Zach Wilson and at that point it's not Zach Wilson's fault but Mac Jones has taken down Georgia You know what I mean? Like, by that point, Trevor Lawrence will have taken – he took down Bama his freshman year. I get that was three years ago, but he hasn't fallen off. It's it's Trevor – Justin Fields has slayed every dragon that has came his way with top 20 wins. Like, that's where it gets super hard. But I am glad you mentioned Zach Wilson because both of you now have said something that is perfect for this next segment. And that is where are games of the week? This is how we like to close this podcast as it winds down where we're thinking for next week. Now we all have agreed Clemson and double digits over Notre Dame, right? I think we're all there. I think my game of the week starting it off is BYU Boise state Marcus. While I completely agree that the, the, the game that means the most is that Georgia Florida game. I don't know if there's a more interesting game than the BYU-Boise State game because it doesn't particularly mean a lot except pride. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I think BYU and Boise State is going to be fun. Um, we're going to talk about it, but Indiana-Michigan is going to be a, a little bit of fun too. And, you know, we talked a lot about Harbaugh on this pod. Um, so is, you know, are the, is Michigan going to pull it together? I don't think so. I think Indiana pretty much wins this. Uh, I'd say I'd, I'd put it double digits, actually. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit bold there. Um, I say I say it's going to be 10 plus. Um, but, yeah, that that is my uh, – I'll, I'll take the outside of the SEC. That is the game of the week. Yeah, and, you know, outside of Florida, Georgia, um, outside of, um, you know, Clemson, Notre Dame, that, that's who it was for me was Michigan, Indiana. Because if Indiana wins this game – they're, they're starting to really build some confidence, uh, confidence. You know, you go into three and O and you just beat a top 25 team. That's, you know, been, um, been a power in the big twin in the big 10 for a couple of years now. And granted they're again, they're not up there with the Wisconsin, Ohio state, um, teams, but it's a major win for Indiana. If they can get past this Michigan team. Um, and then, um, like you said, the BYU and Boise state, granted, it doesn't really move the needle in terms of college football playoff implications. Um, but seeing two, you know, top rank, you know, group of five teams 
um, playing in a game is going to be very interesting for this year. Yeah, and I can't stop watching Zach Wilson play football, right? I mean, the kid is unbelievable. And it, I, I love what you said, Jamison, last segment, talking about he deserves a shot at the Heisman because it, it goes back to what we talked about last week where you can only play who's on your schedule. That's all you can do, right? You, it's not your fault that you're not in the SEC. But that being said, it's not Mac Jones' fault that he's in the SEC either. You know what I mean? Like, it's not his fault that he has to go up against Georgia, Florida. So it creates this interesting dynamic. Now, I, you know what? The more y'all talk about it, I, I hate to admit it, and this is going to be one of few times on this podcast, I'm wrong. Y'all have moved me off that needle, right? I think BYU-Boise is intrigue. It's intriguing. It's interesting but y'all have converted me. That Indiana-Michigan game means a lot. With the way Indiana won game one, all-time great finish, winning week two, carrying a lot of momentum into week three, and Harbaugh could implode. We don't know. Yeah, and, you know, we talked about Herman, too. He got a tough matchup this week against West Virginia. They got the same record as Texas. So, you know, that's something to look forward to is, you know, if if West Virginia can – you know, take down Texas at home. Where does the Herman talks go from there? Yeah. So I want to get y'all's thoughts on lines for these games. We're just going to kind of make our own, make it fun. I think as much as I hate to go up against Andrew, I have Georgia plus seven in the Georgia Florida game. As far as the BYU Boise state game, I'm going to go bold. I think BYU plus 13. I think that they really show out in that game. I think that they take it on late. And the Indiana game, Marcus, I love where you're at, and I'm actually going to roll with you. I, I, I like Indiana in that game as well. I'm, I'm down to ride on that one. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to go uh, on, on your end. I put Poly BYU at 7.5. And, a half. Um, and uh, you know, Florida, Georgia – Man, as much as I want for I want to give it to Florida, I don't think they're gonna they're gonna be able to outlast Georgia. I'd probably put it, you know, five and a half, seven and a half in that range. Um, and then I'll go ahead and put uh, Texas losing this week. I'm gonna put them at seven and a half. You know, I'm not I'm not a too much of a degenerate when it comes to uh, gambling <laughs> these lines and stuff like that. So I'm gonna leave this to you and Ty. Hey, fair enough, man. More degeneracy for Marcus and I. So, look, <laughs> looking back on everything, man, you know, I, I, I think the last thing we need to talk about, and I don't know how much there is to talk about, is the Pac-12, right? The Pac-12 comes back this week, and I don't know where y'all are at, but there's really only one team that sparks my interest out of the Pac-12, and that's Oregon. Yeah, and, and a great team in Stanford, too. You know, they're, they're not a terrible team. They were a good defensive team last year. Uh, they played well. They played sound, you know, sound defensive football. So it'll be interesting to see how they come out. Um, Oregon's going to be intriguing this year. Um, it, it just – it's unfortunate if they're starting this late in the season. Um, and so I, I don't really know what, what we're going to get out of it because week one of college football is pretty sloppy. So – um, I'm, I'm just going to assume that this game's going to be right up that same alley. And, and not only that, I mean, USC comes into this year with a little bit of hype behind them. I, I still, I can't buy into USC. Um, but 
with Oregon, they are intriguing. They have a lot of NFL-ready talent, especially across the offensive line. Um, they've built up some, you know, bookend tackles that people are, are starting. They, they've been talking about two potential top ten picks. Um, and at each tackle position, I mean, that's pretty big time. Um, however, starting this late, and you also lost Justin Herbert to the draft last year. Um, I'm, I can't really sit there and say my hopes are too high for Oregon. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they do something, but, you know, starting this late, lose your starting quarterback. Um, I, I can't buy into them too much just yet. Yeah, I think you both make good points. Marcus Stanford's always good, right? Like, I think we've just come to expect that out of Stanford, and it's a great program to watch. Such a respectable and storied program that I think really doesn't get talked about as much as they should on the national stage. It's kind of a shame. Jamison, you hit the nail on the head with USC. You know, they, they, they lose their star quarterback, who's stellar as a freshman, game one of last year, and all the backup come, does is come in and overachieve, right? Now JT Daniels is at Georgia. I don't know what's happening there. I think God only knows. But, you know, the, I think the thing about Oregon that makes it so intriguing to me is the, the type of talent they're recruiting. Jamison, you talk about the offensive line. To me, it's the linebacker. You look at Kayvon Thibodeau, you look at Noah Sewell, and then you look at Justin Flo. I mean, right there, my Lord, that's an SEC backfield. Uh, it's, it's, you know, that's, that to me is why Oregon is so intriguing. I completely agree with both of you, though. I don't know how far they're going to go, how real any of this is, but it's fun, right? It's fun in the Pac-12. I don't know how much it means on the national scale. Yeah, I, I can't agree more with that. Absolutely. So, y'all, I think we've covered just about everything. It's been great. This has been episode four of College Football Unmasked. Marcus, it's been awesome having you here. You know, we're going to have to have you on more because just a ton of fun talking football with you. Jameson, as always, Andrew wasn't here with us this evening, which was a shame, but we'll hear more from him about his woes with Texas and his soon-to-be woes with Florida as that comes out. But, y'all, thank you for joining us, and this has been a great episode.